This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey listeners, it's Jenners from the Mixtape Memories podcast here to tell you about something positive. Sex positive, in fact. If you're like me, by now you've probably got a lot of time on your hands and are desperately seeking some form of pleasure or a stimulus. Well, I've got this awesome offer for you from our lovely sponsor, AdamandEve.com. Right now, you can select almost any one item for 50% off at adamandeve.com. But, wait, on top of all that, you will also get some awesome free stuff to spice up your bedroom. Enter the code MIXTAPE, that's M-I-X-T-A-P-E, MIXTAPE at checkout and get 10 free gifts. Few special sexy items, plus six spicy movies, and you got a whole evening ahead of you. And also, free shipping, can't forget that. Get yourself a gift, or surprise your partner or partners as it may be with a gift. And uh, don't forget to put together a special mixtape playlist to set the right mood. Shoegaze, perhaps? The offer code again is mixtape, M-I-X. T-A-P-E mixtape at adamandeve.com Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape, Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Matt Hartspade. And I'm Jenners. And uh, welcome back. Uh, we have a very special group of guests today. Uh, it's kind of a couples episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my partner, Boshko, is here. Say hello. Hi, my name is Boshko. I'm really um, excited to be on my first podcast ever. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and uh, my boo, <laughs> Ryan Mulkey. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and Ryan, of course, does, uh, well, he created our graphic and also our intro and outro music. Yes. yes. And does a lot of help with us technically. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it works. Yeah, we just wanted um, like a couple's edition and we could kind of talk about, you know, their experiences from the 90s and the aughts as well because they grew up in some different scenes and are also now in New York. Yeah, and different locations. I mean, for me, as y'all know, like I grew up in Brooklyn. Now I'm here in Brooklyn. So I'm a little, I don't know, it's been in my own bubble for most of my life except for my college years. Mm. Um, But Boshka grew up in Europe. Yeah, you go ahead and tell them. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm originally from um, Belgrade, Serbia, and the first half of the 90s I spent um, there. Those were my high school years, and then from 95 to 98, I was in France for beginning of college, and then I got to the U.S. in 98 and was there um, 
started in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so oh, I was cool. there from 98 to 2004. And then New York from 04. Wow. What about you, Ryan? Uh, I'm from Denton, Texas. And uh, I moved here about um, 14 years ago. Yeah, I was just in the music scene there for in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just, there was a lot of shows there. So. Was there a local scene there? Yeah, there was a, like a big local scene. Um, and what was the vibe, pretty much? It was like a lot of like, um, it was like the 90s, like punk and space rock was mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And then everything from noise to um, art rock and, I mean... It was just kind of all over the place, and the scene was kind of accepting of people doing, you know, all sorts of kind of genres and mm-hmm. really experimenting. It was kind of an experimental scene in general. Mm-hmm. Well, they have that experimental um, festival now. Isn't it called Marfa Myths, I think? Uh, it, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yeah. And it's kind of under the stars, and it's an outdoor thing, and... Pretty much people collaborate, don't collaborate, you know, play for hours on end, don't play for hours. It's kind of, it's very free form. And I feel like that kind of maybe fits in with that. Uh, but I think a lot of people that go are, well, A, high out of, off their, you know, out of their minds, but also just kind of taking it all in. It's a different a festival experience than, say, like Coachella or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, after Donald Judd moved there in the 70s to Marfa, there mm-hmm. was like, you know, kind of a more there's a definitely more artistic scene there and then texas psychedelic music and experimental um rock was you know was popular and you know the 60s in like austin and mm-hmm. denton's known for its like jazz school mm-hmm. and um so yeah th- there's definitely a scene for that kind of you know more experimental kind of how is the scene different from like the 90s and through the aughts because it changed quite a bit i feel like yeah it did you know it was kind of i guess in the 90s it was um it was really kind of getting started there was a few uh clubs um by like 90 i think like 94 or so this like club the argo kind of came around and that place like really uh shaped the scene a lot we had like a lot of great acts like come through there like um saw the silver apples there like i think like 95 or something mm-hmm. um and then later like um a rehearsal studio called rubber gloves mm-hmm. uh, came about and also during that period there's the good bad art collective which did a lot of like crazy art experiments and um had shows like on the weekends like music shows yeah i mean because there's a scene there it really was like a touring stop on a lot of tours definitely mm-hmm. like south by southwest like people would always stop in denton and play there first or or after right yeah um where was the music scene like for you Bashko? um <coughs> well in um First half of the 90s, I didn't, like up to 94, most of the, n- I didn't really go to shows um, or to um, to clubs, which I started later. Most of the music I kind of consumed through MTV Europe. Mm. So everything was kind of through TV mm-hmm. um, for me. But it was really interesting that when I was kind of looking through the kind of electronic dance stuff in the early 90s that I 
um, watched on TV, um, I realized when I looked it up a little bit that it actually came through Germany mm. um, and it was produced, it was kind of like Euro dance music, which um, like Snap, Labouche, all those mm. acts are actually come out of Germany and um, uh, Culture Beat. So um, that's something that I, I really was into through TV, but then also kind of a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things from the United States that they showed, like R.E.M. Mm -hmm. um, I really graphically have the, like, Losing My Religion of course. Um, <laughs> kind of uh, video. But, but, but because when I was thinking about what I'm going to talk about here, I actually realized that for quite a few years, from, let's say, 90 to 94, the visuals, the videos were really integral to kind of me consuming music, whether it was like, you know, Mariah Carey um, or um, Roxette mm. or, um, and, and, and some of the acts that, or um, musicians that I saw through TV, I wouldn't have normally maybe um, listened to them, but because w one example was like Extreme, more than words yeah more than words <laughs> like i had a crush on one of the singers and i was like what but i would have never really listened to such an act if it wasn't for mtv so um yeah um but a lot of the people that i enjoyed in the first half of the 90s were like salt and pepper or in vogue or um a lot of American. A lot of American and thinking about it, like for the whole decade, for instance, uh, Madonna was somebody that um, I followed mm -hmm. for the full decade, but again, very heavily yeah. through um, through videos and MTV. Um, but I was definitely an MTV baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah, definitely. I was glued to that, that stuff. Um, so I totally get that. To visually, you know, music videos were, like, such a great way to, like, experience music back then. Um, I mean, like, Brian, like you were saying, like, um, you could, like, pay to, like, have your couple in, like, the, the AHA music video. <laughs> you know, like, remember that music video with the drawing and yeah, everything? Yeah, Take On Me. Yeah, Take yeah. On yeah. Me. Ryan is telling me you can now pay. Yeah, I get, I get, oh I get like God. a targeted like <laughs> oh, Instagram I that ad, <laughs> and it looks so creepy. It's like the video with like I you was know, like, like we need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so no, what happens? You no. submit a photo or a video, and they make it into that kind of format. Yeah, I guess only a picture because it it looks like you're like they took the head and then they just like cut the triangle down on the, like I mean like a rectangle with a mouth to chin is uh -huh. and it just moves in a very like your <laughs> mouth is an open <laughs> rectangle that's uh, like expanding and i guess like it, and the rest of it's like the actual video <laughs> but oh, your head funny. is superimposed on on like uh, the dude 
Well, I guess we're the target market. I don't think they're they're offering that to fifteen year olds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fifteen year olds are like, what is this? <laughs> the end product looks pretty creepy. I, mean, I keep looking at it like this is. I don't know. Just like. How to feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but music videos used to be such a big deal, but now they're not so much anymore. Well, I, the idea of a video premiere, obviously, almost always it'll wind up on YouTube, unless you're like Taylor Swift and they premiere it on Good Morning America right. or something. So it's kind of, it kind of gets lost quickly. Although the view counts for some of these videos, I mean, if you look online at a, you know, like an Ariana video or a Billie Eilish video, they have hundreds of millions of views so people are watching them it's just the idea of sitting in front of a television screen waiting for the rem video to come on doesn't exist anymore but in general that's the difference between consuming music now versus the 90s where you had to sit around and wait for the cd to come out or the video to premiere or whatever buy the band t-shirt now everything is so instant it takes for me a little bit the fun out of it yeah. yeah, we had less media options. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot more focused. Like, I can't even remember how many cable television channels we had, but it was probably like in the 30s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't even know. Like, it yeah, wasn't, wasn't much. And we had three growing. <laughs> <laughs> three cable or three periods? <laughs> well, three period, and then later they added some some channels. But we didn't really have cable. It was just more like kind of channels that you could. You know what I find interesting is that some of the stuff that you play in the house that is uh, that you know from MTV Europe and from the 90s and whatnot, some of that crossed over here, like La Bouche Be My Lover was a huge hit here. But then there's stuff that you know that I don't know at all oh, right. that was only popular in Europe yeah. that was a huge pop or club hit there. But right, here nobody right. that knows it, it. That it's obscure. They had this um, – yeah, I was like playing to you the other day. They had um, – uh, some they're mostly like European, like Swedish or German again. Um, singers that kind of crossed it was a mix of electronic dance music, hip hop, reggae, and some dance hall stuff. But the main beat was electronic music, which was like Dr. Alban or M People or M- Mr. President that really never kind of crossed over. But it was this in the same vein as Labouche or things like that, but it didn't quite um, cross over because I guess there was a big difference maybe what American MTV and European MTV, certain segments didn't cross over. I feel like M People's one of those bands that I always have heard of and, and always saw on like, you know, Q Magazine would write up the review, but I never really knew what M, what what, it hell, what the hell it was, you know, who they were. Yeah, out of what you just said, uh, that was the only one I recognized. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, but I feel like you know those like dance parties you throw. Um, what are they called again? Oh, the Ugotopia. Yeah, Ugotopia. Um, even though I don't know the songs, like I, it still feels like weirdly nostalgic <laughs> to me because I, it's a very familiar sounding kind of music. Well, well you know what I think p- you could speak more <coughs> to it, obviously, sure. but I think part of it is that not every song and not even a quarter of the songs, but maybe a tenth of the songs borrow things from songs that were more popular in the States that they kind of repurposed. Yes. And, yes, that's true. and like there's reference points there that we're like, okay, that's definitely mama's and papa's California dreaming, but it's a Bosnian song, right. Bosnian lyrics right. over it. Right. Sometimes you know? they do. I mean, it's more <laughs> rare, but it's true that it, in, in some instances there'll be like a complete ripoff. But um, at times I feel why the, 
sound is popular because especially I think with the ones that are from the 80s that have kind of like a new wave um, kind of sound or disco influence sound, um, things like that. I think where it gets a little, where it, when it got kind of weirder is like in the 90s when there was this other genre that we actually don't play on um, during the, w when we throw these parties in New York is, uh, it's called Turbo Folk. And it was this weird kind of hybrid between traditional Serbian music that is influenced by Middle Eastern and Turkish sound because historically we were under the Turks for like 500 years from the 1300s to the 1800s. And then that was mixed with kind of like um, electronic turbo kind of sound on top of this like Middle Eastern folk kind of thing and created this like very weird hybrid that actually started in the mid 90s but continued to today, and it took new shapes and forms. Mm. Um, but that's something that I kind of really listened to as well because it was on TV and it started being nascent in the like early to mid nineties. Mm. How like did you all, Ryan? Did you also like discover music through like the MTV thing, and or how else did you like discover music back then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, through MTV was like huge, um, you know, from when I was like a little kid. Uh, I think my mom told me, don't watch MTV. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of it's course. Like, like is it a poison uh, your brain? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess I wanted to poison my brain. And, um, you know, after like I saw like Depeche Mode's Enjoy the Silence mm -hmm. or like, um, um, what was that? There was Fish Heads. Do you remember that? Fish I don't remember. Rolly Poly Fish Heads. It was like a... No. Like I'll, a I'll really Google that weird, later. Like, um, <laughs> like song, uh, um, stuff like that was like really appealing, and you know, um, just different MTV shows. I mean, mm -hmm. 120 Minutes was hugely influential. Yes, um, and all like a lot of those like programs. That's um, how I got my news. MTV news. Yeah. <laughs> you knew it was a big deal when Kurt Loder would appear and tell like, you something. Tabitha Story, yeah. Kurt Tabitha, Loder, yeah. you know. Well, you know, it's funny. From my day job now, I sometimes work with WNYC, and their midday show is hosted by Allison Stewart, who did the news for a, for a moment there after Kurt and Tabitha. That's right. So it's, it's interesting now to, like, know her in that sense, because I'm sure a lot of people that chat with her don't know her like 1997 mtv life. reference yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it's really weird when people grow into some other like career mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like next thing they'll be like a host on food network or something exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> actually speaking of hosts mtv had some cool hosts back in the day i feel and yeah i don't know pre duff. carson daly i what? thought duff was like really cool remember her like, yes she was, yes like, i don't know um then there was like Kennedy. You know right. what? It's unfortunate because I used to love Kennedy and I only realized recently that she's now this like Fox News talking head and she was actually always super conservative. Oh, I, I didn't no realize. Idea. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh but she gosh. was really cool. She had the look too. She had know? a look. Yeah. Um She hosted Alternative Nation or 120 Minutes or both. I forget. We'll have to go look at that. Yeah, later. I can't yeah. remember yeah. that. I remember. Might be an Alternative it, Nation actually. I think it was, you know, she always had like a uh, Drama Ramos T-shirt on, mm -hmm. like I just remember that. <laughs> it was my favorite band, like yeah, you yeah, know, like yeah. Always. But I can't remember. Maybe she did both. Um, 
I remember there was two main guys. Uh, Alternative Nation. Alternative Nation. Oh, yeah, 120 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not Matt Pinfield. Or he was later. He was later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, um, it, um, I'm kind of getting it mixed up with um, with uh, Headbangers Ball. Oh, Headbangers Ball. I used to watch <laughs> that, too. But, I mean, 120 Minutes was more of, like, what I was into. But yeah. I used to watch Headbangers Ball. Yeah. Um, what I did like about Alternative Nation 120 Minutes is that um, it wasn't – in certain cases, it was exactly what alternative radio was playing then. But in a lot of instances, for me, I felt like I discovered a lot of things through that show that I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise because I was obsessed with alternative radio in the mid-'90s, and um, I would never have discovered, like uh, – I don't know. I'm trying to think of a band off the top of my head, but quite a few. You yeah. Know? I mean, definitely for me, like, alternative radio was, I think, what kind of really spawned it, too, mm-hmm. um, because I would, we had a, uh, like, a radio station pop up in, like, I think 1988 um, called The Edge in in um, North Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of, it went, it wasn't very good by, like, the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it played, like, whatever everybody else was playing. Yeah. But um, in the late 80s and early 90s, I mean, it was huge. Like, um, I would put a tape in at night mm-hmm. and, like, put the headphones in and, like, listen to the show and just record the entire night and then listen to it the next day or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, I remember those days. We had a station here that was actually Long Island-based. It was 92.7. I forget what the call letters were. But they also kind of, even though it was, quote-unquote, an alternative or modern rock station, they pretty much played what they wanted until maybe – 96 and then they became you know they just played the same top 40 version of alternative radio that everyone else was playing with you know blink 182 and god knows what else yeah Uh, another way that it's also via tv that um what was a big thing uh was eurovision contest oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and they're actually before the eurovision contest you had like the local country had a contest where people from the whole country were basically competing to who's going to go wherever the contest is in um, Europe. So it was kind of like two-tiered. So that was kind of like a big deal, I remember, growing up. Um, It it used to be always in May. um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, then you'd see, like, they would have also, like, videos. Every, Every contestant would have to produce a video. And then a version... It would be like a version in Serbo-Croatian and then a version in English. So um, yeah. so you would kind of really um, read. And one of the singers I was obsessed with, Baby Doll, um, <laughs> that I used to go actually see live um, in a jazz club. She would sing um, kind of like covers of Billie Holiday and stuff. And I didn't really, sometimes I didn't know the originals. And I thought she was like the shit. And then <laughs> later, years later, when I actually heard the originals, I was like, well, maybe she wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that was years later that I, uh, that I found out. Was she playing there because she kind of fell from grace or because she always dreamt of playing in a jazz club? I think it was just kind of like her gig, you know, her Saturday gig at a jazz club. And she played with her dad. Her dad was a sax player. Who actually he played jazz in the fifties uh, and sixties on American bases in Europe, uh, military bases in Europe. Um, um, he was like an older man then in the seventies, and mm. we talked to him on on the breaks. <laughs> uh, but I was just like so obsessed with her that to me just to go and like sit close to where because it was a very small intimate venue. Yeah. Um, and she was like really nice. We would geek out on her because 
we were like 17, me and two friends, and we'd be there every Saturday. <laughs> so she kind of like maybe felt sorry for us or something. She would <laughs> come and talk to us, and we were You're like her number one fans. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we would come, because everybody was like, it was a club for adults. So everybody was in their like, I don't know, like late 20s, 30s, and 40s, and we were like 17. Did you like um, sneak in? Like, were you on No, we had to do like, uh, we had to do. Um, real reservations and stuff and we'd have to like order drinks and stuff but <laughs> my friends looked older they would put makeup they were girls okay. but they would like serve us cocktails so we had to like well if uh, you're with a bunch of girls you have right, a good chance right yeah right <laughs> um so she was like super nice she would always come and talk to us and i would kind of like be very excited it's like the um now it's like like a not even American Idol. <laughs> That's so passive. American Idol's coming back. The Voice. Again, oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I like don't even know who the judges are this time. But yeah, The Voice and the rest of them. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's always been like kind of popular to kind of root for like someone competing mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. a star. Mm-hmm. Um, they have them in Serbia too. I mean, I've been to Belgrade three times, and um, this is obviously a lot more current than kind of throwback. But. Uh, yeah, they have the Serbian version, essentially the Serbian mm-hmm. version of The Voice and, and all these shows. And um, I find them fascinating, even though you don't really know what they're, at least I don't know what they're saying, because you can kind of tell based on the body language and how the performance is, if they're actually talented or not. And mm. um, I don't know, for me, it's fascinating to watch. Uh, and also, they, you know, when you watch well, The Voice. they're much more critical than Well, here. yeah, there's many things to say about that. But the first thing I was going to say is that in the U.S., it's like you watch whatever the competition show is and it's an hour long and then maybe the next day they pick who got the least amount of votes and they kick them off in serbia i swear it's four hours this show (laughs) (laughs) and it'll be two hours till they take a commercial break you know Um, i feel like it's it's a trip and like like when if you see like the uk version of shows or something it's like every day and you're like in america that would be like too much airtime. Yeah. You know, like, like what was that show? Big Brother. I felt like uh-huh. that was on all the time. <laughs> like, and I was like, who watches this show every day? Um, but I guess if it's popular, they just, like, crank out the episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, like, kind of ev- weekly, like, in America, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but a lot of the pop, well, not a lot, a handful of the pop stars that I think maybe had more fame a few years back or many years back become the judges. So it's a similar kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, over there. Yeah. Um, but um, did you guys have mixtapes back then? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we um, we did mixtapes. I remember, like, um, I would either ask friends. I remember asking friends to make copies yeah. of their mixtapes if I liked them. Um, I would record them either from the radio or sometimes I had like a little like, um, what do you call those little things for like interviews? Yeah, tape recorder. Tape recorder. And then sometimes if I liked something that was like on TV, I would like record (laughs) it with the tape recorder from (laughs) the TV. Um, Or actually put it on VHS first on a tape, record it from the TV and then... Wow. wow. <laughs> and then do um or we also had um we had a lot of like in the nineties bootleg mm. um cassettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we had those. So too. all the cranberry albums that I have from then are bootleg and then later York albums that I bought more like in the mid mid to ninety seven, ninety eight, they're all like 
fruit was. Just because um, it's like cheaper or like? We didn't have actually the, oh. because it was like we had like sanctions and stuff because of the, you know, the war that was happening and everything. So you, it was rare. I mean, you could get originals, but people, it was more the norm to get bootlegs versus wow. originals. And I got bootlegs in Long Island at the flea market just because my parents were cheap. Like <laughs> <laughs> but I remember buying bootlegs of uh, Tony Braxton, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, uh, a lot of early 90s R&B slash pop. I have I had so many of them. And you, the, <laughs> when you open a cassette, uh, you know, a brand new cassette, and obviously you keep opening, 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 and it has the the thank you notes and the lyrics and whatnot when you buy the bootleg one it's just a white piece of paper on the inside yes, yes, so yes, there's, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing. The same so thing. that was kind of interesting i never purchased bootlegs really besides like uh, cds of like live shows that were kind of unauthorized by the band or their record label mm-hmm. or whatever um, oh yeah, that was a whole uh industry i feel yeah you know, the, the live, live album yeah, stuff. yeah totally yeah. Like St. Mark's Street. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> there would be like a guy on the corner selling, uh, blasting songs and selling a bunch of bootleg live CDs for sure. Yeah, um, I don't even know if I bought like live bootlegs, but I was really into all those like weird live unplugged albums mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the day. Mm-hmm. That was a very MTV moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and And then like some of them I feel like were like hard to get some point um like trying to think but that you know i don't know there'd be like kind of secret versions of it like like overseas versions Mm -hmm. of things and stuff like that but um yeah i didn't really get into the bootleg thing either um did you do mixtapes ryan yeah i definitely did mixtapes and then um, part of the bootleg thing is like if your friend had an album that you didn't have, then you would just make them. Uh, oh, know, make the copy. That. Yeah. So that you know that was like a big thing. You know, just like share. Do you remember like one album that like somebody copied for you like that that really kind of like blew your mind like or like formed um, your music taste? Uh, well, I don't know. It's uh, I have to like scan my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do remember getting like uh, like. Uh, 97 or whatever getting the pulp the countdown like in mm. all all this like other stuff that I hadn't heard from them mm-hmm. um and i didn't really i didn't know about all of that uh, previous stuff up to the you know the 95 album um the different class but i think that you know all that stuff was like really cool um i don't know that i'm sure there's like a bunch um i mean the other thing too that um i had like run across like uh, several years earlier in the early 90s was the CMJ magazines mm-hmm. with the CD. Mm-hmm. And that was like a really great way to um, just hear a bunch of new things that were coming out at that time. Um, it, I just totally felt like remember. very special. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I still have copies from like 93 to 94. Wow. I just like saved them. I don't know why. Like they're just like shoved in my CD <laughs> bin. Now somewhere. they're a relic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they came in the little sleeve, you know? Like yep, I can picture it. Yeah. For me, it was more the British publications that came with the free CDs. But I remember, like, Q Magazine, I actually remember the year. It was 98. And they had, like, the best of the year. And I remember that was, uh, it had a Portishead song on there, Rhodes. It had Blur. It had all sorts of stuff. Uh, it had a, a pulp song from um, from their 
the album that followed different class uh this is hardcore so um i don't know it's like those kind of things that you remember i mean and it's essentially it's a mixtape you know yeah, a mixed totally. cd you know just someone else curated it that exactly. you don't know <laughs> yeah. yeah i think they pr- maybe they started that trend um because i feel like i remember a lot of magazines kind of doing little cd compilations mm-hmm. um that they would give away for free um I remember that one specifically because I remember the first time I saw it on the shelf, it was a different size format of magazine, too. It was like it was like maybe like half the width and the same length. Mm. So it, I don't know. For whatever reason, it, that kind of stood out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think they put the CD inside the protective bag over the magazine so you could just kind of see it. Mm-hmm. And immediately I was like attracted to that. And like totally. Even though, so music, maybe they couldn't go into Serbia. Do you have, like, record stores still that you would, like, go browse We had records. Well, there were. I didn't really go to a lot of record stores myself. There weren't. I know there existed for sure. But another way of consuming music actually via records that um, was in 94 throughout the late 90s I started going to clubs uh, where Mm. um, there was a local DJ scene that started kind of forming in the early 90s um, and a lot of them played electronic and house music and they were actually getting records from London and they're like there's Serbia Vice and they did a really nice article recently actually how the records were coming Mm. It was literally through two or three guys that were getting, like, records. Whatever was being published in London, they would get it to Belgrade. I forget through what channels, and then they would be, like, playing it. Um, There were a few clubs that – so it was very, like, current um, music. I didn't start going to clubs until, like, 94 when I was 17, but it was um, a lot of um, Happy House, House. um, There was some, like – um, foreign DJs like Lauren Garnier came in like 95 or 97. So um, there were also like raves that were happening like in outdoor spaces. Um, so it was definitely um, one way to kind of um, consume music um, in a different kind of yeah. live way. And <coughs> it was really to like wee hours, like the the sometimes if it was in outdoor places it would be to like five six in the morning or things like that can people be touring to where you are or like it was mostly just like you had to like go dancing in the club to hear like music touring uh meaning like, like live concert, concerts yeah. there were definitely there were quite a few spaces where they had live music but i just never like really um i never really went yeah to uh but yeah there were like there was like a part um um a kind of like student cultural center where they had a gallery and smaller music um venue where they had like um the punk scene was there um live bands and there was actually a punk scene where you would just go to like listen to music when they didn't have live bands they would have nights i remember i had friends i think it was like a 
on Thursdays. There was a place called KST, which was a club of a university, and you knew, like, if you went on a Thursday, it would be punk music. If you went on a Friday, the goth kids would go there on a weekend. So you had, like, quite a few places, and there were different scenes that, like, congregated depending on what night um, you went. Yeah, with like a college scene or like a s- there'd be like a school kind of thing. It wouldn't be, th- the venue would be in a school, but people like, um, I was kind of like a late bloomer when I started going 17, but like kids, I had friends that were girls that, you know, they looked more um, mature and they would start going, kids would start going out like at 15, 16, because there was not like an 18 or 21 thing. So it would be like in a venue, you could be people as young as like 15 to like early 20s, mid 20s, 30s. It was kind of like a um, a very like mixed, you know, generationally speaking, mixed crowd. What are like the laws over there? Is it like you're 18 and an adult? Like you can you're 18 and an adult, but like I remember when we started going out, like you'd be like 16 and you'd go to a bar and, you know, you could order a drink and it wouldn't be like a um big what's deal. like the legal drinking age then 18 oh. but like if you look i mean obviously if you look like 12 or something right. they probably want they're asked for your id but if you were in a group of friends and you had like people that looked like maybe a little older than you it wouldn't be um it wouldn't be a big deal but i think because of that because it's more la- relaxed yeah people sometimes get drunk or whatever but people don't really get like crashed to mm. the point where you know um you need you know to call the er or whatever <laughs> that's interesting um so and i didn't really like it was interesting because when i started even going w- when i started going to clubs because we were like 17 and stuff and sometimes you had to pay the cover we didn't really have money to order drinks in the bars so we would really just go dance and like drink water you know and, you know, maybe we would, like, smoke or something. Right. But, like, it wasn't, people didn't have a lot of, <coughs> you know, when you were high school, you didn't have a lot of money. So it was more kind of, like, to go out and be with friends and um, really dance. And what's interesting is that that DJ scene was then kind of in its infancy. But right now, fast forward, like, 20 or however many more um, years later, um Belgrade, I guess, become in the last 10 years, it's kind of for Europeans, it's kind of like a nightlife destination where people would come for a weekend or three days and they'll go out like clubbing. And um, for a lot of um, younger European kids that are maybe in their 20s, it's cheaper for them to get a cheap flight into Belgrade and, you know, go to clubs. And a lot of people that started then are like bigger names now that tour around Europe or it's kind of like well known as in place for electronic music and specifically for clubbing. And there are much more clubs right now than, you know, when we started going out there, maybe like a handful, but now there are like many, many more. What was it in Texas? It was, you, you guys had like a good dance scene there, I think. Um, a band scene? Yeah, like a yeah. lot of bands came out of yeah, there's a lot of bands. I mean, you could go, I mean, I pretty much go see, like, shows, like, two or three nights a week. I mean, you know, when it, when I first started going, it was, like, um, houses, you know? You would go to 
there's all these different houses with names, you know, there's this, the Bonnie Bray house, the Wandry Manor, and one's like, they're like punk houses, you know, and, um, but they were almost like operated like as uh, venues on like weekends or whatever, and mm-hmm. touring bands would come through there. And then later, you know, there was um, different houses, but there's also more venues later. So yeah, um, there, yeah, there was a lot of bands. You could go see music pretty much You were in a band time. too, right? Yeah, I played in a couple bands, like, you know, very minorly. It wasn't like a, a major fixture of the like, band scene or anything. And then I do like, kind of bizarre performances here and there. So, yeah. Um, like, what were some of the bands that kind of, like, came out of that scene and went more popular? Um, let's see. Well, I guess there, the the Denton Dallas thing, like, early was, like, the was it Tripping Daisies. Mm. Oh. And then, um, oh. I didn't realize or forgot. Yeah. Then, then those guys... Um, went on and uh, formed, um, you know, their, their big choir. Um, Polyphonic oh. spree they became. <coughs> yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah. And then the guys that were, you know, those guys were a little bit older than me. The guys my age um, that, that uh, we played a lot at, like, a pe- local pizza place. You know, there's, like, a pizza place, like, it was Mr. Gaddy's uh, back years ago, and it became J&J's Pizza in their basement. They would allow, you know, all sorts of young bands to play so you know like a lot of teenagers their first bands played there and um i guess uh, some guys that um we played with a lot i think they're more popular now riverboat gamblers Mm -hmm. um and then you know some some of the members play in other bands i mean there's did midlake come from there yeah midlake too oh yeah yeah. definitely they're they're more popular Mm -hmm. um um i guess and this is this guy was a little after my time, but Neon Indians came. Oh, came I didn't realize. Denton. Yeah. Um, but I think I moved, you know, right around the time of. Yeah, Neon Indian. Indian. I feel like got big around. What was it like? Oh, six. Yeah, it was six or seven. Yeah, yeah I moved here at the. <coughs> I had like moved out of Denton like the end of two thousand five and mm-hmm. moved here. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you know two thousand. Like January second, two thousand six, something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> it's like, um, mm-hmm. I see. Oh, Centromatic. I forgot about. Oh that. yeah, I, I, I saw him so many times. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there's like so many bands. Like, I, I'm like racking my brain. There's like, I could, I also I don't really know what's popular, so I could just go off on like lists, but I don't right. know who's actually popular. Well, I know trip. I can speak to Tripping Daisy at least how they were popular. They were in New York on New York Alternative Radio, and they played that single "I Got a Girl" constantly. Yeah. Um, uh, over here. Um. So yeah, that one probably was most for me as the most uh, the reference point is the strongest. And the the Toadies were really big too. Oh, Toadies, yeah. Because yeah. I mean they were from Fort Worth, but uh-huh. that you know that's all kind of part of that same area, but you know. I remember like sneaking out to go see them, at, you know, uh, like seeing them at like a club that I wasn't supposed to go into, mm-hmm. like borrowing an ID from a guy that sort of looked like me, mm-hmm. you know, um, <laughs> and then uh, getting in there. And, uh, to- so in in New York, there were when I was growing up, um, there was like the heavier. It wasn't really the alternative station; it was more like the metal station slash the hard rock station, and they would play 
so many songs off that Toadies album that really broke through. Um, but I remember that I always thought when I when I would listen to Q104 when it used to play that kind of stuff, I was like, ooh, because it was it was always a little <laughs> like their vibe was a little darker and a little um, yeah, you know, um, it was a little less of like Smashing Pumpkins and more like Alice in Chains. You know what I mean? Yeah, something it was just a little <clears> different. <throat> Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of bands that like um, in that area that weren't really afraid of like getting dark, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. like getting weird or getting dark. Mm-hmm. And I th- I kind of really love that actually. Like, I think yeah. I appreciate it more than I did back then. Back then, I wanted to hear, you know, the same Green Day, Smashing Pumpkins songs, whatever. But now I think I appreciate when someone goes off the rails a little more. Yeah. I also love a terrible pop song, so it depends what mood you're in. Right, you know? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <Totally. laughs> um, yeah, so, but yeah, there was like that contingent, like when Ryan and I met, <clears throat> we realized that we both knew some people because like I knew a bunch of Denton people mm-hmm. who had moved up to New York, um, but I didn't meet him like at the same time I met them i met him like much later and we only like connected about it like later on Mm -hmm. be like oh you know this person oh you know that person and like because i worked with a lot of these like where my first job out of college i were a bunch of the people who worked there were from denton (laughs) it's like they all like got their friends hired you know at this job well there was an art collective good bad art collective that was in denton and i mean that was the place that i really first started going out to shows i was like this like little kid mm-hmm. basically and um so were my friends too we were all just like kids in the college scene and um they did all sorts of crazy stuff there and had lots of shows and that whole um collective kind of like transplanted to brooklyn in like i think 2000 2001 mm-hmm. so a lot of people came with that yeah and, and it's that scene of people that just kind of like when Williamsburg <laughs> was kind of blooming again, um, that's when they came up. And they actually had like a little tiny venue like in Bushwick for like a very short time where I think they were like living there too. <laughs> it was like one of those kind of spaces. Um, but I, I, I it was very short-lived. And was it only space. music or did they do different? I, I feel like they did some art stuff there too maybe just can't remember i just remember going to see bands there mm-hmm. um but it was also because like uh, then i started like living with some of those people you know it was just like uh and then a lot of those people like were, were working at like locks which was like a popular club you know in yeah. williamsburg back or like then. at north six north or six, at yeah. by audio <coughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it just kind of was like a very similar scene, so I think they, the two kind of groups like gelled Merged. really well, like this hipster Williamsburg with this hipster Denton mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like, oh yeah, and like Cornmo, you yeah. know, like he played at our office party every year. I remember. He worked there. I remember <laughs> like, seeing him so early on at, in like, uh, it was Corn Mo and Mob Ed. Um, Mob Ed was his like guitarist, um, and uh, and then yeah, Corn Mo played in one of my favorite Denton bands, which was called Doomsday. Uh, it was like a 
self-proclaimed like art rock band. They were just so weird and fun and talented. And I don't know. They were definitely one of my favorite bands there for, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, so I'm guessing there's no like Serbian group that maybe moved to New York. <laughs> In terms of music, um, I mean, actually, there are now more like that I'm finding out like more people that are in their maybe like mid-20s that um, a few of them mid to late 20s that came here for school a lot of them went to Berkeley in Boston for mm. the um, music yeah, um, college, college. Yeah. Um, a lot of them either did like composition or singers but it's more kind of like jazz kind of vein and then they try some of them tried to kind of mixed it with world music um, or like Serbian origins. There's this one couple that I uh, actually met recently and they have a band that's called uh, Slavorican, which actually mixes Slavic music and Puerto Rican music. Oh, cool. And I saw them at a venue on the Lower East Side, um, and they're also performing at, um, what's that rent venue that Aaron plays at? At Rockwood. Rockwood, mm -hmm. they also like play at Rockwood sometimes. So that's something that I've been just, but they're like younger than me, um, that, um, yeah. That yeah. sounds really just cool. discovered like in the last, like literally in the last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> Shall we hop into yeah. repeat skip? Well, we'll probably have lots to talk about yeah. <laughs> with these uh, <laughs> albums. Do you want to? Let's start with the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Yes. Um, from 1996. For those of you that don't remember, this was the film that featured Leonardo DiCaprio pre-Titanic, <laughs> uh, Claire Danes post uh, My So-Called so Life, life. <laughs> and John Lake Wazamo just because. And... <laughs> What else? Who else was in there? I don't remember. Well, I was, trying, I was telling Ryan, I, it's so embarrassing, I don't know his name, the actor's name, but um, the guy who played Mercutio was uh -huh. like the dude, the dude, the father from Lost. Um, right. And, you know, that started bringing back the memory of that movie because I think, I don't even, I think I saw, I remember seeing the movie, but I didn't remember anything about it. And then when you mentioned John Leguizamo, <laughs> I just remember his face. Yeah, and that movie, and but I don't remember. Oh, Harold, Harold Perrineau. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, this I don't know. Besides that, like, who was in this? I, I mean, obviously, it was mostly Leon Claire Danes, but um, I remember seeing it in the theaters in '96, summer of '96. Um, and I mean, I remember being very into it. But I did. This is one of the soundtracks I that was probably my favorite of the year. Um, or in general of the 90s. I remember listening to it a whole bunch. But when we were revisiting it earlier, it really is a little all over the board. I mean, because uh, genre-wise and just the general vibe of each track, and um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they tried to get each song to soundtrack a certain moment of the film, but um, it d when you listen to it all at once, it sound it's, it's kind of all over, the for me, it's all over the place. Um, so actually, f that made it easier for me to pick up uh, a skip and repeat personally yeah it was like 
two two different soundtracks in mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. for sure for me at least yeah it's definitely all over the place and and i don't know it sounds very dated it sounds <laughs> very 90s yeah 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 um, there are some b-sides in yeah. there um and then yeah just like covers of some songs that i you know they were they were good um, but at the time, I think I just didn't appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm a little older, maybe I appreciate them a little mm-hmm. more. But at the mm-hmm. time, I was like more gravitating towards like the, the indier tracks. Yeah, you know. Um, what was your uh, repeat? Your favorite? Let's let the boys go first. Okay. <laughs> you want to go first, Boshko? Sure. Um, Remember clearly when I saw the movie, um, I was in France, I went to the theater, and I really liked um, the whole like fashion kind of moment um, in it, and my uh, favorite is um, Desiree kissing you, and I clearly... Slash the love theme. The love theme. (laughs) I love when a song has parentheses that are totally unnecessary. (laughs) Exactly. And I remember clearly Desiree's outfit that she had this kind of like white gown. And I think in the video, in the video. And she had this like headpiece that's white, too, that was some sort of feather. And um, yeah, I love the kind of like love, um, love theme thing. I, I mean, I guess it's a romantic song. Yeah. Yeah. So much vocal vibrato. Yeah. It's, all, it's, it's over. The, it's, it's pretty dramatic, right? Very dramatic. Yeah, very dramatic. <laughs> I think that that single, though, was, um, I don't know, she put it out, obviously, everywhere, but I think that particular song was a bigger hit in Europe than it was here. Here, You Gotta Be, You Gotta Be, that's the name of the song, was a, like a number one single here for a while. And then she didn't really have much after that, but I feel like she had a little bit of a moment in Europe with this song. So it's interesting that it didn't translate here, considering she had all the success of that initial track. So... I don't know. Sometimes it's tough to, to do. And there were so many one hit wonders in the nineties that maybe should have had a little bit longer of a career. You know? Yeah. What was your favorite Ryan? Um, I'm having a hard time picking a favorite. Um, and not because I like so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> Shady. <laughs> um, <laughs> just to be totally honest, but, um, young hearts run free. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I just really like that song mm-hmm. and, um, I prefer the 70s version though. Mm-hmm. And, um, Fair. But yeah, I think if I, you know, if I had to pick something, um, yeah, I think I'd have to go with that. Although, I, the, um, the what's his Quindon. Um, oh, I don't remember the last yeah, name. Yeah, Quindon Tarver. <laughs> yeah, Quindon Tarver. I like his vocals, are really great. There's like, I don't know. The English choir thing is so corny mm-hmm. to me. I just can't get over that. I would just edit that out completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wish it was just like a little bit, there was more space to focus around his vocals. I mean. I like the vocals so much, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the, <laughs> yeah. but, that, but that English choir mixed with this kind of soulful thing, it just really is weird. Um, wasn't I'm trying to remember if it was in the movie. Like, oh, that I don't remember. I'm pretty sure because like, um, like in the Wikipedia page, it's been so long since I've seen this yeah. movie, actually. But like, it says Quindon Tarver as choir boy, the singer at Romeo and Juliet's wedding. 
Mm. He was like in the film and he was probably singing the song at their wedding, like as like part of their wedding. So maybe Mm. the choir was like on the scene. I don't know if I want to watch the film again, but I believe you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, back then, I thought yeah. it was awesome. Oh, yeah. Back then, I did, too. I just think if we, if I watched it now, I'd feel like, oh, my God, this is terribly corny. Yeah. Although, I totally forgot Paul Rudd is in it. Oh, that I don't remember either. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. He no, was Juliet's fiancé. Oh. <laughs> I, I, just to admit something, the, the wanna dies song yeah. i thought was pretty pretty good i like how it kind of was kind of just quasi bossa nova thing that mm-hmm. mutated into pop i still think that as an entirety that's more interesting to me they yeah. buried that song at the tail end of the soundtrack which i thought was interesting because i thought that that might have been a song that catapults a band like that to another level and then it didn't happen i actually i really like that song i think like I mean, that's definitely my favorite song on the soundtrack, and I just remember it standing out so much against, like, all the other tracks because, you know, some of these tracks are just clearly just on here because they either say, like, the word Romeo or, like, (laughs) (laughs) Juliet or something about love or, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's, like, a little too, like, on the nose, but, like, they just, like, stood out for me. Mm -hmm. And, And I always wondered, like, where did they come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did they go? Right, right. Because this was such a good track. Um, and it's like the kind of track that just like kind of makes you want to like get up and like start like, you know, singing it loudly mm-hmm. um, because it has that kind of crescendo mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, it's also a sweet song. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It just sounds a little different. Although like earlier today we were saying that there there. There is sort of like this like British rock sound to it, but I don't think that they were from Britain. I think that they were from like Scandinavia or something. That sounds right. <clears throat> um, yeah, Sweden. Sweden. Swedish mm-hmm. band, which sort of makes sense. Yeah, I guess that's something that, uh, like a theme that kind of bonds people together on the soundtrack. Yeah. One. Like uh, a know. lot of Nordic. Yeah. 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 Bands. yeah. Uh, yeah, true. actually, quite a few. I is Baz Luhrmann from, like, because he's the one who directed the movie. So. And I, I was going to oh. mention Baz Luhrmann when you were talking about that song in the choir, because I feel like Baz Luhrmann might have had something to do with making that seem so dramatic and cinematic, oh. you know? Hmm. I don't oh, know. yeah, he's Australian. I Australian. Uh, well, yeah, and then the cardigans were huge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that song was everywhere. That, that right. was a huge single, yeah. Everybody knows that Love song. Bowl, yeah. you know. But, I mean, it is a good pop song. I have to admit, Oh, I, is... I have no qualms at all with that song. I'm, I mean, I... But Man, I just remember it being like that it was overplayed. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. To definitely. That, for me, it was a song that I started um, really liking, but then because I heard it so many times, I kind of ended up not liking it. I agree with you. Yeah. The same, same for me. When I first heard it, I sometimes like, though, like I can listen to it, you know, <laughs> like like I'll get into it, yeah. You know, I don't know. It I don't hate. I do agree. It's overplayed, oh, and yeah. it was overplayed, but maybe um, I don't know. There's still a nice sweetness to it, and it's really catchy. Just a good pop song, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I saw a drag performance to that song a few months oh, back, really? and I had hadn't listened to the song in so long that when it started 
playing, I was like, I, I you know, got emotional. Well, it, it brings nostalgia. Yeah, yeah nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because it brings you automatically to this very specific era. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which brings, I think, other, um, by default, it brings probably other memories yeah. mm -hmm. um, of that certain period in our lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So even though I didn't pick that for my favorite, it is a good one on this. I mean, there's so many, right? Like, mm -hmm. you probably have a different favorite track. I have Matt. a handful. Um, my runner-ups are <laughs> the Wanna Die song. Mm -hmm. um, also, another runner-up would be that Cardigan song, just because I think, yeah, the nostalgia of it, and, and it was just a fun pop song. Also, it stands, if you listen to Cardigan stuff that came out after that, it sounds nothing like that. It's a lot yeah. darker um, and a lot more um, almost experimental pop, I would say. Uh, but that was like their breezy number. Totally. Um, and then also that Radiohead B-side that's on the album, Talk Show Host. I remember in the 90s and early 2000s when I would see Radiohead all the time when they were here or when they'd play in Philly and I'd travel there or whatever. Um, I would always hope to hear talk show host. Even I don't think it's their best song by any means, but just because it was such a rare song, um, I always had my hopes up that I'd hear it. It's I think with certain bands that you've seen many many times, you're always waiting to hear that song that doesn't get played very often, you know. And that was on my list. But my favorite track is, and it's obvious, I guess, to anyone who listens to this, but it's uh, number one, "Crushed by Garbage." I mean. I love that song. That was a throwaway song that they did not include on the debut, on the self-titled debut, and then, a um, little trivia here, <laughs> and then um, the Romeo and Juliet people were like, do you have a song? Because they were, you know, they were having a moment in 95 and early 96 with all those singles from the debut. They said, well, we have this song, but we didn't put it on the album because it didn't do anything. And anyway, they gave it to Romeo and Juliet, and then... It was the lead single, and then it was, I think to date, it's probably their biggest modern rock hit. You know? Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, anything Shirley I love. So that's my favorite. That's my, my repeat. It was a great way to start the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was, like, revisiting this, I was like, oh, yeah, I love this garbage song. Mm -hmm. Oh, we were laughing. We were, when we were listening to this, the Butthole Surfers song, um, I had a dream. I had a dream. Oh, yeah. that's another one with parentheses, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another parentheses song, which honestly, when I was like re-listening to the lyrics, I was like, did they just write this song for the soundtrack? They Definitely. Were like, they were like, <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so I was like, what, what are all these references to like Romeo and Juliet and all that shit in it? I like, think so. I don't know. And then like it ends with like, take it to the street beyond. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> We just died laughing at this moment. <laughs> I was like, wait, did he say that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. It's so weird. What a weird song. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, I just had to. It's kind of spooky, that it's song, It's an atmospheric too. song, yeah. I felt. You know, it's like. But I think there's a couple of, like, atmospheric songs. Like, um, th there was a. Um, one was the there was a guy that was he's his like kind of a falsetto angel from gavin friday yeah it's, it's kind of trip hopping yeah. that's one that it's it's 
pleasant you would hear mm-hmm. in the background. Yeah. But if you're at the club, that's when you would go to have a conversation with your Exactly. Right. That's you know? the song. And, and they you go put... to the bar, get a drink. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you hear it in the background, and you're just like, you look around, you're not offended, mm-hmm. but it's there. It's just part of that. I think you're absolutely right with that song. <laughs> oh, we should talk about our skips. So, yeah. which ones do we not like on this? Who wants to start? <laughs> I can start. Um, the local god Everclear. <laughs> Do you I feel even? Like a lot of us agree. Yeah. I mean, that's my I pick didn't, too. I didn't even write that down. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't worthy of yeah, ink. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I, that was. Do you have any relationship with Everclear? I actually don't. It was <laughs> only. It was only when we were listening to the album again that I was like, "This is really weird." But, <laughs> so I just jotted it down. What's your relationship to? to um, oh God, just just like th- it would be the kind of song I'd hear on on alternative radio and just pray that it'd be done so I could hear whatever was next. You exactly. know, exactly. Yeah, I feel like that was when alternative radio was getting really bad, like ninety seven, ninety six. Yeah, yeah, terrible. Uh, yeah. So what would be the? Because I I don't have a context of um, alternative radio, but how would you describe why it went bad or for what? reasons oh. go ahead well i mean there's probably what is it clear channel purchased all of these stations that's why i think the our, our local alternative stations around the same time went terrible mm-hmm. around the same time mm-hmm. um and i feel like the programming went down the um the you know like the scheduled programming and also just the repeat uh, and choices of songs going on it was just Things were overplayed, and it was terrible. I mean, by the end of the '90s, Seven Married Three. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't I ever, <laughs> so I many terrible trains. So many terrible bands. Band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nickelback. It's always my yeah. favorite joke. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's Creed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Creed. All those terrible yeah. bands got very popular in the late '90s. Well, I think also part of it was it, it's all of that, and I think by the late 90s you had a lot of bands that were sounding like recycled early 90s stuff so the bands that sounded like nirvana and sounded like pearl jam but now were Mm -hmm. like iterations of it and terrible iterations of it exactly mixed with like the new metal thing which is its own you know mess that was right around the millennium that whole limp biscuit phase and all that that's when it alternative radio totally was dead in the water after that yeah they're like poor copies or like um duchamp like poor substitutes you know Mm -hmm. it's like something that symbolizes what it's supposed to be but doesn't function or is what that's supposed to be mm-hmm. or you know in but, that context yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i don't know just yeah it was just bad yeah i stopped listening to the radio at that and point. i think that's why like indie rock became like popular after that because mm-hmm. it was like trying they were trying to find some what what the next thing was and then it was like all of a sudden it's like modest mouse is like Playing the frat boys Fra- yeah, now, frat boys. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. instead of like, you know, whatever, you know, gothy ind- indie kid is out there, whatever used to be, but yeah. Well, I think also f- uh, alternative music. I think in the very early '90s was literally an alternative to top forty, but then around. I don't know, 96 or so, if you took a look at the Billboard charts and the albums were literally like all the same songs that were being played on alternative radio were the best-selling albums of the week around the country. So if Smashing Pumpkins' Melancholy is the number one-selling album of the week 
it's also top 40 and it's also alternative and there's no difference really there's nothing interesting about an alternative station that plays smashing pumpkins for yeah. songs from that album i mean you know yeah right. like i feel like right now we're in like the the mary sue phrase of phase of music where it's like uh all the bands that have spawned from like indie rock becoming popular <laughs> you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. like 90s indie rock becoming popular and now it's like all of these like derivative bands but they're not like great no <laughs> so shall we hop into train spotting yes our second album um that we're gonna repeat skiff with it's weird to think that this came out the same year because i feel like it's like two different i don't know ages in my head (laughs) yeah i mean this train spotting soundtrack seems more timeless to me yeah uh i feel like there's so much amazing brit pop on this album it's very much like a 101 of bands you should listen to if you want to learn about Britpop and kind of how it formed and and where it came from originally and all that kind of stuff yeah no it was so many and um I feel like um I there was like I learned songs that I you know I didn't know before on here so I also like that there are some acts that I love that um put some rarities or slash b-sides on here um, that wouldn't have fit on other albums of theirs, you know? hmm Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely Pulp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that track, actually. Yeah. Not, not my, not my repeat, but it, it's high up there. Yeah, it's not like their best song, but it's such a fun song, and it fits, like, the spirit of the movie so much mm-hmm. that, like, it's easy to kind of see how well that paired together, but... Yeah, it's like all like the the cool, you know, Brit bands that you should know mm-hmm. on here. <laughs> like, if you want a quick introduction to like cool British music, mm-hmm. just like point people to this soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think my favorite track was the Lou Reed track. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I would just I would listen to that. I would single that song out and just like listen to it on repeat i probably did put it on mixtapes mm-hmm. uh for people maybe if i liked you <laughs> 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 um you know but uh yeah i have like really good memories of that song in mm-hmm. particular what about you uh for me my repeat would be new order temptation mm. um couple weeks ago i actually uh purchased these old new order cassettes um sadly they don't play very well but i got um movement and i forget which one off the top of my head but uh it was so cool to have them in my hands because i actually never owned the original so i don't know it's kind of fun it's sad though that like they just it sounds like shit when you play (laughs) it just sounds like it's been through a war and it's muddled and it, it sounds as if someone like intentionally messed with it um and i reached out to the person who sold it to me and never heard back and he told me it was in pristine shape so anyway (laughs) little rant here but um anyway yeah temptation was i think temptation was on one of them actually uh i love that track so 
that would be my fave. But I mean, I also love the Elastica song, the Pulp song, the Blur song. Um, you know, so it's, it's a str- and obviously yeah. Iggy Pop Plus I mean, for Life. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's too many here for me that are too weak. But my favorite is the New Order track. Um, I agree that there are a lot of um, really great songs from that era, especially like the Brit stuff. But um, for me personally, what resonated most was the Underworld, uh, Born Slippy, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like a, um, I guess, electronic club Mm -hmm. um, song because it brings me back directly to that era when I was going out to clubs and just sort of like the feeling what you would when you heard a song that is in that vein like it brought back the feeling of how I would what you know dancing in the clubs or what feeling of freedom you kind of had by just being with a mass of people and um, and just feeling free because I think that's what it was kind of like an oasis for us an escape at that time because everything else was of chaotic in the country um that that was kind of like nightlife was an escape thing for us um where we found fun and um this kind of feeling and um yeah so that's what it brought back to me curious ryan i guess i have a hard time choosing a favorite i Mm -hmm. mean um, I have to totally echo New Order, Temptation of an Individual. Like, um, I don't know, it's just like kind of joyous, celebratory song. Mm-hmm. I don't know, there's just something so uplifting about it every yeah. time I hear it. I, and obviously, Iggy Pop, Lust for Life. I mean, you can't. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's just like a. I mean, this whole soundtrack is just so good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything like Brian Eno is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I could just like go to sleep to that, you know, <laughs> just like yeah, meditate yeah. bliss out to that. Um, I don't know. Um, it's kind of hard to pick a favorite between mm-hmm. those two, but I mean, mm-hmm. the uh, New Order Temptation, such a great song. Mm-hmm. What about Skip? What would you skip? Um, I would skip, uh, not because I loathe it, but because I just don't think they did m- anything super interesting with it, the cover of Atomic by Sleeper. I just feel like um, it's too similar to the original that, mm, that's true. I don't know, and it's not Blondie, so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like if they were going to reinterpret it, it, they should have added a little something to it to make it unique, in my view. And it's you? True. Uh, a final hit left field, because it was so <laughs> left field. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that's a, was it instrumental? Yeah, it was fully instrumental, I believe. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Some vocal there there were some vocal <laughs> attempts, <laughs> but we're not sure what those are. Yeah. It just felt like I was sitting in some, like, I don't know, hotel lounge or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. waiting for someone to come back from the bathroom. Right, you know? right. Like, just like, okay. Um, yeah, I, I thought that song, too. That would be my skip. But also, I'm I'm not I wasn't that into the underworld song, even though you loved it. It's <laughs> <laughs> not really my thing. Um, but I I didn't like the left field song more. Yeah. What was the bedrock? Song? That was the one that built up into that like club. Oh okay. Song. Right oh, right yeah. right right. Yeah. The vocals on that were pretty good actually. Right, I I guess I I. Mm-hmm. 
never remembered who did that. But I remember the song, but yeah, um, I have to agree with you guys on uh, yeah, about the but overall, I think this soundtrack is is pretty essential listening. So yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the best soundtracks of the '90s. Yeah, and yeah. only in my research did I realize there was a train spotting too. <laughs> but uh, I remembered there was a train spotting too, but I couldn't tell you one thing about it. Yeah, yeah. I remember it coming out, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll see that, I guess, and then didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> didn't happen. But since we are just talking about soundtracks, I just want to briefly mention some others that I thought were good back in the day, although I haven't revisited in a while. I remember I really liked the Clueless soundtrack. I think that was one of my first introductions oh. to Radiohead because it had fake plastic trees on it. Uh. Uh, and like for me, Pablo Honey came out. I was kind of young, and I didn't really get fully into Radiohead till the Benz and whatnot. So that was kind of as it was happening. I remember I really liked the Crow soundtrack. I couldn't tell you one song on there now, though, but I remember I liked it in 95, 96. Yeah, I feel like the whole idea of a soundtrack was so different then than it is now, where it's like the only one I can recall that really made any moves in the last couple of years was The Star is Born, but like, you know, I don't know. It's a different kind of thing now. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, this is so obvious, but like the, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack was so huge oh for yeah, everybody. yeah 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 i mean that was just it formed so many people yeah mm -hmm. um judgment night <laughs> better the soundtrack was better than the movie i don't even Do remember, remember either judgment? judgment night was when indie rock bands paired with rap or hip-hop artists and they did a song uh collaboration and i was obsessed with the one <laughs> with sonic youth and cypress hill <laughs> oh yeah 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 uh, do you remember this i, do, I don't then, remember anything and then they toured on Lollapalooza together oh i remember seeing them at, uh, at a, how was it i mean i like both of them like you know um i mean definitely like I mean, it was just one of the. It was just one of the first times that that happened. I feel like it, that happened again at some other point. I can't remember what it was, um, but that uh, that song was so good. Uh, it was like, I, oh, I love you, Mary Jane. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> I mean, I I was just so shocked to see them just just how much weed smoke. Yes. Was in a giant auditorium, you know, like a mm -hmm. huge, and then like them smoking up on stage and throwing it out to the audience, and like I think everybody just, was just stoned. Just look at, at this track list, guys: Helmet and House of Pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul. De La wow. Soul, I remember De yeah. La Soul. Uh, Living Color and Run DMC. Uh, Biohazard and Onyx. <laughs> uh, Slayer and Ice T, Mud Honey and Sir Mix a Lot. Yeah. Oh my God. yeah. I didn't know Sir Mix a Lot had. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, singles. That was a big one for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, singles. That was another huge. But yeah, I don't know. You were trying to tell me Cruel Intentions, and I was like, I can't think of one song from that. No, but I'm, when I revisited the track listing, I was like, oh, I really liked it, but I need to pull it up again. <laughs> <laughs> like, Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions. Who is on that one? Did we just... I'm pulling it up. Let's see. 
placebo. Oh, didn't it have every you, every me? Or which yep. placebo song? Yeah. Yep. Fat um, Boy Slim, Praise You. Oh, yeah. Blur and Coffee and TV. Yeah. Uh, it had Counting Crows. Let's not count that one. Um, <laughs> Marcy Playground. Well, let's not count that one either. <laughs> Sorry. The Verve Bittersweet Symphony. Um, I mean, this this reads like... Um, like one of those like of course, TV ads like Symphony. for yeah. 90s I know actually you know I take it back there were three really good songs <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Fat Boy Slim I haven't thought about him slash them in forever but Praise You was such a big radio that single oh, yeah. oh my song. god oh my god uh, I wonder what he's doing right now yeah who knows cameos cameos yeah <laughs> <laughs> Aww. He's yeah. counting the dollars from his living room. I mean, it's such a good gig. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if more of these 90s stars in general, music, movies, or otherwise, wound up doing things like that. I mean, there are already quite a few on there. Yeah. But some of these well, folks, 90220 girls are doing it. Yeah, Tori Spelling. And, they're real um, cheap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess he's still releasing music. Fat Boy Slim? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, he released a single or something last year. Okay. Nothing nothing like Praise You, obviously. No. But I mean, that was... I don't <clears throat> see how you could top that one. Yeah, yeah that's right? like one of those, like, anomalies that mm-hmm. you're just, like, thankful it happened. <laughs> you're like, yes. Because um, I always say you only need one. Mm-hmm. One hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that was awesome. Thanks yes, so thanks much. for joining us yeah. today. Thank you. This thanks. was super fun. This was really cool. Just to hear like everyone's stories, and thanks so much for being on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this was super fun. This is uh, only my second um, <laughs> podcast, and speaking of mixtapes, the first one was a tape-recorded uh, fake radio show in the in the nineties. Oh my gosh! So that instead of podcast, oh, that's what we did. Uh, well, I was just on the show, but our friends did a a tape podcast. Uh-huh. But they didn't call it a podcast; they called right. it a radio show. Right. <laughs> and then made copies of the tape and right. passed it around. <laughs> so it's sort of a full circle. Yeah, exactly. It was a ta- tape cast. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Actually, I love that. Thank you for sharing. I mean, all these stories were so awesome, and it was like cool to see like how we all experienced music around the same time, but mm-hmm. in different places. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Thanks for being on, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. No. <laughs> Season three, we'll have another. Yeah, yes. definitely. Um, and we'll catch you next time. Catch you on next time. Mixtape, Mixtape memories. memories. Bye. Bye.